you saw the very best players the entire country has to offer, and you saw it throughout the course of the weekend. He's growing, he's improving at such a rapid rate. He, he's going to be a very good player. This guy's a cross between Sean Marion and Lamar Odom. He's a six foot eight lefty, a high level athlete, but also got a little bit of point forward skills in him as he can handle and pass the ball extremely well. At this point, they are simply the standard by which everyone else is judged in prep school basketball. He's considering the likes of Michigan, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. Welcome back to the Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Finkelstein, and this week's guest is a special one. Becky Bonner grew up in New England as one of the, in one of the most well-known basketball families in Concord, New Hampshire. Her brother, Matt, played at Florida for Billy Donovan before playing more than a decade in the NBA and winning two championships with the Spurs. Younger brother, Luke, played at West Virginia and UMass before playing professionally abroad. Becky began her college career at Stanford before finishing at BU. She played professionally in Sweden before joining the coaching profession with stops at Maryland and Louisville. She then went to work in the NBA league office for six years, where she managed global outreach and, if my research is correct, traveled to 72 different countries, <laughs> uh, including alongside the 2016 Olympic team and the 2014 national team as a precursor to that. She was even falsely reported, obviously, to have died in a plane crash, along with former NBA player Sam Perkins. She's now entering her fourth season as the Director of Player Development and Basketball Operations with the Orlando Magic, and has been described on more than one occasion as the leading candidate to be the first female general manager in the NBA. So, a big thank you to Becky Bonner for joining us here today. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. How did, did I get any of that wrong? Wikipedia is very unreliable. Um, gosh, it sounded good to me. All right, great. Well, I figured um, we could start chronologically and be true to both of our New England roots. Uh, and, and you should know that as we record this, I assume you're in Orlando. I'm in Connecticut and there's a foot of snow outside. So, so I was just going to brag that I had to put on a sweatshirt because I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm I'm four layers here, so this is, uh, uh, but I wanted to take us back growing up in New Hampshire. Um, I've read that both you and your brothers obviously were basketball players, read that both of your parents were very tall. They passed that on to their children. What I didn't see though, were your parents basketball players? Did you guys all get the love of the game from, from your parents? Um, we definitely got our height from our parents. Um, I'm the shortest in the family at six two. My mom six three and a half. My dad six seven, six eight. You know, in their old age, they've shrunk a little bit there. But um, yep. growing up, we were quite a large family. And I've been this tall since I was eleven or twelve years old. So just you know, came right out of the gate being huge. And you know, our parents didn't play basketball. Really? I mean, our dad played high school. Um, it was a different time for women in sports for my mom. And so, you know, she your mom was a skier or a swimmer or something like that. Did I read? No, um, she was, was she just, she was a student. And gotcha. I okay. um, you know, I think she tried out, tried, like she played a little of basketball, but not nothing like it wasn't like her love. Yeah, sure. Her. Um, and then my dad played, you know, he did everything. He did hockey, he did football, he did basketball, but nothing like super serious about it. Right. Um, and enrolled in the army. So, um, but he's a huge sports fan. Like I remember growing up and he would, him and his buddies would go out to the big 10 tournament and, or mm -hmm. any like mm -hmm. March Madness thing they could, 
or we'd go down to New Hampshire College, which is now SNHU, and watch um, like college games there. And right. it, and and the game was always on in our house, whether it was the like Celtics or anything like that. So you know, we grew up that way. Now you just mentioned that you were six two at eleven years old, and I had also read that you were playing primarily with boys in those middle school years uh, because the girls could be mean. That that quote certainly could have been misattributed. But is that I mean that's got to be a hard thing socially uh, for a, a young girl to be six foot two. I think um, you know to have my mom and everyone else in my mm. family, you know. Matt, Matt and I were neck and neck there for a while. Like I, I was taller, you know, cause girls I think start out quicker right. and then mature faster than guys. And that was right. the case with Matt. And then he just went and kept going. Um, but just to be around everybody that tall, I sort of didn't feel that uncomfortable, but then, mm. um, and then I, I was so into sports and, so because of that, I, I always had an activity or something to do around sports that it became more comfortable. And then, you know, there were the the all, you know, every teenage girl goes through her, and boy goes through their awkward phases. And, I, you know, sure. yeah. And so those moments were, of course, terrible, like terrible, <laughs> awkward, <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, but that kind of stuff just makes you who you are and helps you figure out, you know, real life and yeah. so it prepares you for the real world because the real world can be pretty tough. Right. Right. No doubt. Um, so you end up, you, you star at Concord high school, you get recruited by Tara Vandeveer, you play at Stanford, Boston university, then you go to Sweden. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see like a pattern starting to evolve a little bit because it, it I read that you were able to work out with the, the men team who were playing professionally abroad over there too. So there's a commonality with those, those middle school years. Is that right? I, yeah, actually that is right. Um, you know, the, I just, I don't, I can't really tell you why, but I was just very lucky and comfortable with the group of guys that I started playing with. And they're, you know, that, that was my crew. And yeah. I did travel team with them and all that kind of stuff. And those were my guys. And so I, it became really like the way it was for me and just, the right. and so then, um, going over you know even in college you know we had um a lot of women's pro top women's programs have men practice players or that kind of stuff and so just being i did that on uconn on one unfortunate camp session put oh, set me straight real quick yeah oh my gosh yeah um well good for you no it didn't, um, didn't go well didn't go well yeah but um and so for going overseas um there were practice was in the evening because mm -hmm. it, was, it wasn't like a, a top league or anything like that. It was um, like people that played on my team had school or jobs during the day. And then right. in the evening they, we had practice from like six to eight. And so I was there just to do that. And so just to keep me busy, um, I would go over and do a individual skill development with the men's um, non-American, non-Swedish players in the league on the gotcha. team. Gotcha. So was there any, I mean, did that help set the stage for, for being able to, uh, you know, be a pioneer in the NBA, obviously in all men's uh, professional league and just the comfort level with your brothers and, and growing up playing against boys at, at various stages? Or is that just, is there not no. as much to that? That me just creating my own narrative on my Friday. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
here's here's kind of I've given it a little bit of thought, and I kind of remember this really specific time where, um, you know, Matt and Luke played for Franco Losa and Joe Dryden on the um, Granite State Raiders, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I don't know how well you know Frank, but you know, if practice was at say five o'clock it didn't necessarily mean that he was going to be there at five o'clock. And so all these people would be in the gym and, you know, ready to go. And we kind of did, I I can recite our practice. We kind of did like the same drills to start everything. And then he would come in and we'd go. And so I grew a little frustrated one day because we were doing full court right-handed layups forever. Like (laughs) it felt like we were doing it forever. And so then I just, took over. I, I don't remember. I, maybe I was 13 or 14 and I just took over and I was like, all right, guys, let's go left hand. All right. Four corners. I started to get everybody organized because I just couldn't do this for an hour. I just thought it was so ridiculous and so disrespectful. And it couldn't be on time again and all this stuff. And so, um, and I just kind of did it and everybody just followed along. And so when he finally wow. came, it was like, all right, let's scrimmage. So that so there we have the beginning of the coaching career. So I think that's kind of like just out of sheer efficiency and frustration and stuff like that. I just kind of fell in, into that spot. And but I it, it takes a certain it takes a certain confidence at a young age to to be comfortable to assert yourself in that way. Definitely. I mean, like I said, you know, we practice every day. We do the same things every day. And I was very confident. I knew exactly what we should you, be doing. You knew where it was going. <laughs> yes. I knew Fair enough. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So uh, in the NBA office, 72 countries in uh, five or six years and the reported, uh, you know, what would we call that? The re- I can't say the reported the report. experience, but you were uh, premature reports of, of your demise. But um, yes. You, you also got to travel with the Olympic team and the national team before that. What were those experiences like? Um, you know, being able to have the opportunity to be with USA Basketball under Coach K and Jerry Colangelo and Jim Tooley and all those guys, Sean Ford, UMass guy. Yep. Um, and I think he lives in Connecticut too. Connecticut guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was an absolute education and honor and um, tremendous learning experience. And I'm not just saying that I, I actually mean it. You know, I went out to Vegas during training camp and I feel like I got like a tryout for my mm-hmm. role. And, um, because it is, it is a big commitment, you know, you're committing 45 days at minimum to, you know, you wake up with this group, you eat breakfast and then in every, you go to practice, you eat, you go out to dinner and like everything you do is with these people. And so they really want the people, like the, the people they want to be around every day. Right. Right. And so to sort of like get that acceptance meant a lot to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone, it's such a, it's like the 1% of our league, right. Mm. Participates in this event. And then, it's also the the next generation of one percent that gets to be that then learns from it, and that's how we keep the greatness alive. And so it was really, really awesome to be around everybody and learn and see. Oh wow! Like this elite athlete, this player is the best player in our league, and he does his stationary dribbling drills every day, every single day. And like some kids are too think they're too cool to do that, and it's right. like that's really what it takes. Like just to see everything that you've been told 
by your coach, you're like, no way he does that. And then just to see how hard these guys work and their commitment to their craft and being the best, fueling their bodies, getting their rest, doing the extra work and going, making sure, investing in their, um, their, their career, which is their body and, and maximizing everything and, and then learning from each other. Mm. Um, it was actually really special. And yeah, I, just, I would imagine. So and that, was that front row seat. LeBron and KD were among that group? Yes. Gotcha. So now what I wanted, if, if you'll allow me, is to start digging into the, the role with, with the magic. Um, it, it seems one of, so again, in, in my preparation for this, uh, one of the quotes I saw is that, that you said, I speak player, you know, mm-hmm. meaning that, that you can, you know, communicate with the guys. But but the thing that, that really stuck out to me was the the uh, width of your responsibilities in terms of being the the uh, touch point, I believe, is the terminology you use for the front office, the coaching staff, and all the different points in the, the organization. So the thing that uh, kind of fascinates me about that is you probably can't speak player with all of those different groups. And so the communication styles have to be um, really versatile. And it's it's got to be a skill set in and of itself to be able to go in and, and build rapport at so many different levels within the organization. It's definitely um, cha- a challenge. It, it's, it's challenging. It's super challenging. You have to be mindful of the big picture and all the different um, aspects of the organization that are hap- that are functioning at once and mm-hmm. be mindful of how the right hand needs to know what the left hand is doing, but maybe not today, <laughs> you know, maybe that, and like understanding what needs to go where and when and how to nav- how to navigate it. Right. And so, and then communicate it. Um, you know, saying I speak player was just a silly throwaway thing that I, yeah, I, but I, the, I the point was player. Yeah. But um, I understand that, you know, I guess how to have a conversation and keep it going the way we need to go. And right. so I sort of find, see myself as sort of a bridge or connector almost between all of these things. So, when you talk about like the players, then you have the performance staff, then you have the coaches, and then you have the owners, you have the business side, you have the front office, you have PR, you have community relations, you have and agents. You deal with all that. You have agents, yes. You have agents, you have family members and loved ones and and bro, bros like friends and like stuff like that. And so all these people, if you have a piece of, want a piece of something that has to do yeah. with this guy or our organization and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, and, it, and everyone matters, you know, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to assert, this is a service role. And so I'm here to make sure everyone feels connected and, and warm and a part of things as, as layered as they need to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that with this comes ups and downs and good days and bad days and, you know, winning cures everything type of thing. But I have, I I really believe that I have a high care factor because I love, like, I feel like basketball has done so much for me and my family and Mm. specifically the NBA. It's literally changed our lives. And so, um, and shown me the world, actually shown all of us, all three of us, the world. Um, And so I just feel like I'm just giving back to it because that it's given me so much and my family so much. And Mm. so when I, when I think about a player, you know, 
And, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't really want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with that. Like if, if my mom and dad came to a game, I would want them treated. I would want everything to go smooth for them. So they have no stress, no worries. They just get to their seat. And so that's, I think about that. Or, you know, I, I used to, I, I've mopped the floor. I've um, driven the 12-seat passenger van. I've done the laundry. I, um, you know, I've kind of, I've moved the basket. I've done a lot of jobs in this in, in, that have to go along with putting a team together or a club or organization or university. Right. And so being mindful of what, how the importance of each role and, and, and how that, or who, who, who the people are and how that you're, you really are a key influencer around a player if you're around them every day. And that needs to be the right way, done the right way and on the doing the right mission. And so it, I just really believe that winning is systematic. And so it's just kind of important that um, to lock in, you know, we ask our guys to lock in. So I'm locked in too. And just go side by side working with them to make sure to do my best in my role and not, um, not get in anyone's way, never be negative to anyone because it's a grind, man. We play 82 games, you know, it's not a nine to five job. Um, I was going to say, I, I mean, do you ever get I worked on Christmas? So I'm going to take a comp yeah. day and extend it for this big holiday. So I can do this. It's not that, you know, um, it's a lifestyle and you know, you bring your loved ones along with you for the ride. And so it becomes that it's not, it's not just a job. It's just yeah. No, very, very clearly. Now, with all of those uh, responsibilities, um, how important was the opportunity to be involved in basketball operations when you decided to to join the Magic? So they they come in and and recruit you away from the league office, and um, but but how important was the the opportunity to be involved in the basketball operation side in addition to everything else that you just mentioned? You know, it's really important to be involved in the basketball upside um, with the team because um, that shows that gives you street cred, right? Straight up, mm -hmm. you know, um, you're not just there to, you know, be a box check in diversity or whatever or anything like that. Like, you know, you know, you know how, to, um, you know, you know how the sausage is made and, I, you know, you've been a part of winning and seen winning and you can contribute and evaluate players and understand all that kind of stuff. So. That is, um, that was absolutely crucial. And is, has the job, um, has the, how has the job evolved? The, going into your fourth season, if I'm not mistaken, how right. have those responsibilities, I've read that you've built up your own team trying to, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but trying to transition to more of the, the op side of it. Um, is that, and that may be a, an overstatement, but how, how has the job evolved, you know, in year one versus year four? Um, uh, the job has evolved and I have evolved, you know, it was super humbling. My first year, you know, I had a lot of challenges um, and tough times to mm. be honest with you. And I made mistakes and, you know, it's not a, a knock or a negative thing. It's a learning opportunity. Right. And so mm. being able to self-reflect and learn and say, Oh, okay. And take a step back and understand that there, there's a lot to this. Mm. And so, um, you know, learning the, the best way to talk about a player and with regard to evaluation or something like that and right. understanding all that kind of stuff has been um, probably the biggest learning curve because it's a little bit different than um, some, 
anything else I've really done. Mm -hmm. um, and then the job is just, you know, there's different people that you have to work with and, and get to know and all that kind of stuff. And so um, having more clarity of role or understanding, hey, I really like this versus this, or I see myself doing this more, or yeah. someone said I'm good at this and they see me like they want my help over here and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's changed, I guess. Um, you know, I love watching the watching pro. I love watching college. I like to know um, all about players and see who, who's the next group and next best player and all that kind of thing. And so I just, um, I'm just a like basketball fan and I watch everything, you know, as much yeah. as I can. And, and does your, the close proximity to the, the guys, does that make, cause you're working with them in so many different capacities. Does that make it easier or harder to interject on personnel decisions in the front office side? Um, probably easier. I guess, I, don't, I guess so. Neither. Um, it's just a part of it. You know, I'm at every practice. I'm at every road trip and that kind of stuff. Like I'm at every road trip, I'm at every practice and I'm around players a lot. And, you know, I, it's not like a big chunk of my role in those, in that capacity is like, Oh, I got to figure out this for the front office personnel. It's really not. I'm just mm -hmm. being myself and, um, and making their lives easier. Cause my, my primary job is to help them maximize their career and have, and have be successful. Gotcha. And so that's the number one thing. Gotcha. So the goal of being a GM um, I mean, you've, you've talked openly about that. You, you've, I've, I've seen you talk about vertical growth. When did that become like the tangible goal of saying, I I'd like to be a general manager in the NBA. Um, sort of, I guess I would say there's a lot of, you know, I've come up, been working and doing this for a long time. You know, as you mentioned, my brothers both played and through that, that, through that alone, um, we know a lot of people, right? Sure. You know, the network's you know, gotta be. About, we talk about all the people that we have in common, and so I'm also right, like doing, doing thing, working in this industry, and and it's been a long time. I've been working, right, right. and and to see people that I've been around take that role, yeah. and I know them, and right. I, they know me. Like I, I. I think well, he can do it. So can I. Sure. Sure. And so that's kind of when it becomes like, why not? Right. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. What else would I be doing? Absolutely. Um, are there as being a pioneer in, you know, a, a female in, in the NBA, are there stereotypes that you've had to fight hiring practices that you've had to, you know, anything that, that, you know, challenges that, that people might not expect, or maybe not, maybe it's been just the opposite. I would say, you know, the art of the cosign is really crucial for women. Mm. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have that, I think in my corner between my family and, um, people I've worked with. Um, so that for sure has made, helps get you through and, and move you along. Um, I think that's true, though, for men, too, in, in our league, too. So it's just kind of the nature of this NBA culture. And so 
that's been huge. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that outside of that, um, having more women along in the role in basketball operations, helping the team and supporting and making decisions is also really important. Is, is it true? Is there an email chain that I read? Is this a true story about the, some of the, the female executives in the league? It's a text, a text group. We have a chat. Yes, we do. Gotcha. <laughs> and are, are you running that like the let full court left-hand layups or no? <laughs> um, it, it's very random. You know, that when you, when you report to your team and the season takes over, it kind of sucks you in. And so yeah. when you come up for air and you're like, I need to ask this question to the group, um, you know, I'll, I'll put something out there or I'll, someone will ask and I'll know the answer. Especially with yeah. all these COVID protocols, there's a lot of questions and and yeah, that can be so it's more like a support system than anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, and you alluded to this earlier, but uh, in terms of it being a lifestyle, with all the people that that you, all those touch points that you've mentioned, mm -hmm. um, how does that, you know, what personal sacrifices does that require? Because I think a lot of people. You must get as you must get this a ton. People saying, you know, what path can I follow, or how do I do this? And 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 really, you know, the message that I try and give people is 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 not even someone at your level, but just to get into sports. It's just supply and demand. Everybody wants to be in it, so you've got to be willing to go above and beyond, time and time again, just to get your foot in the door, and then a chance to do it all over again. Now, to be uh, in your shoes, that's got to be magnified even more. So, I mean, what what sort of? I mean, if you don't mind getting into the the specifics of it, I mean, do your do your cell phone ever get to get turned off? Or, I mean, how does how does that work in terms of personal sacrifices? Um, you know, to me, no, I don't turn my cell phone on. But I'm a very good communicator, and so, and I'm also really true to myself. And I know that, you know. I have to put my oxygen mask on first before I can take care of anybody else. So I always mm -hmm. I have to take care of myself and make sure I'm good in order to help others. Others, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do that. You know, I I I set my boundaries if if you need to. But I'm always available for sure. Always available. I'm always going to get right back if I don't know the answer. I'm going to find it. If I if someone asks me to do something and I don't know how to do it, I'm going to figure it out. And, um, like I'm always, I'm never going to leave someone hanging. I'm not going to ghost anybody. And if I do, I legit didn't see it or something. It didn't get to me and someone should follow, like you should follow up. Cause if you hit me and I didn't get back to you, that's very rare. Right. Um, and so to me, you know, it's not like a big deal if I'm at a family gathering to step away and say, Hey, I got to take this call or I'm going to do this. It's 10 minutes of the day. Um, it's going to help somebody else and it's going to, it's, it's no sweat. Um, and if I'm not, if I need my time, Hey, Hey, so-and-so I'm, I'm here, I'm right. I'm available to you from here to here, but I, I, I got to go off the grid for, for a minute and um, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And so I'm super proactive about that kind of, about when, if, if it's, if I'm not going to be around or, or whatever yeah. it is. But um, I'm generally trying to be available, trying to serve and um, make sure that and be that dependable source resource for our organization. Now, I'm going to I'm going to geek out a little bit, if you don't mind, because I'm, I'm very into like the daily routine stuff. So you, you did you did say the, uh, you know, put on your oxygen mask before everybody else. So what are what are like the 
I don't want to be too cliche and say the daily dozen or anything, but what are, in terms of just putting on your oxygen mask, what yeah. is, what does that look like? What are the things that you have to do for yourself every day? I have, I'm very um, affected by the physiological. So that means I need my sleep. I need mm -hmm. to be rest. Like I need to take care of my sleep be and be well fed <laughs> and work out. And so I am hooked on the Peloton everything. So I, I do my Peloton workouts, whether it's bike, treadmill or weights, um, every single day, pretty much. Um, and I do, you know, I make sure I'm getting my rest and my, my hydration and my food and I keep myself healthy. Um, and then, you know, if I need some girl time, I'll take my girl time. If I need to watch a silly show on Bravo or something like that, just to have my mind go out elsewhere. I'll do that. But, um, that's kind of how I, how I do it. You know, I have, I have a great life. Um, I've, and I'm, and I enjoy it. Mm. And Very cool. all that, but it's not gonna, um, I have perspective and understanding of all the things that go on in the world and, um, what it takes, you know, what it takes to be happy. Yeah. And get yeah. yourself there. No doubt. Well, that is a, uh, a really good place to leave it. I want to be respectful of your time. I'm sure you're, you're, uh, this, I know this is your in season here. And so I can't thank you enough for, for making the time to do this with all that, that you have, uh, know that new England is rooting for you. We're rooting hard for the first female GM to be, uh, be from New Hampshire. And, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for making the time to do this course and thank you and good luck with the snowstorm yeah no the uh the shovel is coming up that that's really why i'm canceling this <laughs> i gotta go outside the shovel right now is it what is it like 70 degrees down there right now it, it's probably 60s and windy yeah. Yeah. and everybody's cold and everybody's cold so. <laughs> it's true your blood thins I, i'm soft now <laughs> it's crazy well everybody that is becky bonner a pioneer in the world of the NBA and basketball in general. And until next time, I'm your host, Adam Finkelstein. Thanks, as always, for listening to The Upside Podcast.